We continue our journey through the book of Philippians. We turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we read verses 1 through 11. The title of the message today, The Church United, Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are your words that you have given to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There were three churches that were in the same intersection, and they didn't seem to get along very well. And one Sunday, they opened their meeting with a a rousing song service. It was a warm day, and so all the windows were open on those three churches. One congregation began with the hymn, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? The song had barely ended, and the congregation across the street started singing, No, not one, no, not one. They had scarcely finished when the third congregation began singing, Oh, that will be glory for me. Now that probably isn't um, maybe a true story, but it illustrates, does it not, that there are times when people who love the Lord but are in different churches may have trouble getting along with one another. That's a sad thing, right? If we worship the same Lord, we love the same Word, we ought to love those who are part of the family of God. But it's even worse when there is disunity within a congregation. Where there are people who come on Sunday morning and they might look across the other side of the room and wonder, "Ah, I'm not sure I really care about that guy. Or I remember what he said to me. Or I remember what she didn't do when I thought she should have done That's a sad thing when there is disunity in a congregation. And that appears to be the concern of the Apostle Paul as he challenges the Philippian believers to serve one another in unity. Verse 2, make my joy complete 
by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Notice all the words there that speak of unity. Same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so that's what Paul deals with in this section, this beautiful picture of a church, a body of believers that is united. There's nothing more beautiful from my perspective as a pastor than to see a congregation that is together, united, loves one another, and cares for one another. Paul tells us three things about Christian unity in our text. The first thing he says is this, that Christian unity flows from a relationship with Jesus. It flows from a relationship with Jesus. Interesting to notice that Paul begins this section in verse 1 with a series of if statements. There are four of them. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, then he goes on to say, make my joy complete. Now, when you see the word if, you might wonder, is Paul doubting this? Is he questioning whether these things are, are actually true? These statements should not be viewed as something questionable, as if Paul isn't quite sure about these things. Uh, Greek grammarians call the structure of this sentence a condition of reality. could be translated this way. If there is any encouragement of Christ, and there certainly is, if there is any consolation of love, and there certainly is, in fact, some translations, instead of the words if, they use the word since. Since this is in fact true, what's the result of that? We ought to live together in unity. So there's no question that, that these things are true in, in Paul's mind. And as you follow then his thinking through, what he's saying here is that these four realities form the basis or the foundation of our relationships in the body of Christ. Since it is true that there's encouragement, there's comfort, there's fellowship, there's affection, there's compassion in being united with Jesus, then, because of that, we ought to live together in unity. Now, there are some powerful examples of this in the early church. And one example is the change that Jesus brought to relationships between Jews and Gentiles. Now, when my mom and dad got married, my dad was a Swede and my mother was a Finn. And that was a little bit uh, kind of crossing the line, right? Uh, Swedes, they don't marry those Finlanders. Finlanders don't marry those Swedes. I'm joking a little bit, but there was some of that. You know, do you really want to marry outside God's chosen people? You know, it's like, I'm not quite sure about that. Well, in the early church, it was much worse than that. Jews and Gentiles, they despised each other. They called each other dogs. 
And not the kind of beautiful household dogs that we have, but dirty, mangy, grimy dogs. That's how they viewed each other. That's what happened when a Jewish person and a Gentile person put their trust in Jesus, something amazing happened. They were united together in the same family, and those who despised each other began to love each other. Notice how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 2. He speaks of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. A little bit later he says, he made the two into one new man. And he reconciled them both in one body. Who would have ever thought that you would see Jews and Gentiles embracing one another in the same family? That was just so far beyond people's thinking. But Jesus united them. Jesus has a way of uniting those who are at odds with one another, Jews and Gentiles. Think of how God united Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, with the church that he was out to destroy. Luke, as he writes the the book of Acts, here's what he says about Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul, the Apostle Paul, began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women whom he put then in prison. So how would it be possible for a man who hated the church to end up giving his life for the church? And how was it possible for believers to love a man who had brought such pain into their lives? How did that happen? Well, we know how it happened. This man who was ravaging the church met Jesus. And he began to love the church he was seeking to destroy. And when they realized that this man's heart was changed, they began to love him. It is amazing when you think about it, the change that Jesus brings in relationships. And Jesus can bring that change in any relationship you have as you together focus on him. He unites. He unites us together. Marvin Williams, as he writes in Our Daily Bread, he says, Seeing three large predatory animals cuddle and play together is extremely unusual. Yet this is precisely what happens daily in an animal sanctuary in Georgia. In 2001, after months of neglect and abuse, a lion, a tiger, and a bear were rescued by Noah's Ark animal sanctuary. And he says, we, the, the, uh, the assistant director said, we could have separated them, this uh, lion and tiger and bear. He says, but since they came as kind of a family, we decided to keep them together. 
the trio had found comfort in each other during their time of mistreatment. And despite their significant differences, they lived peacefully together. That would be fun to see that, right? Wouldn't it? Think of that. A lion, a tiger, and a bear living like family. So if a lion and a tiger and a bear can live like family, shouldn't we be able to live like family if we love Jesus? United together in the family of God. My father was a pastor, and he told me a story about he had preached at this congregation. It wasn't an AFLC church, thankfully. And as he finished his message and went to stay at the parsonage with the pastors and his wife, their home, he came up after he put his stuff away for a little snack before he went to bed. And the pastor's wife was in there preparing something to eat. No pastor. And finally, my dad asked, where, where is your husband? He said, he's pouting. <laughs> he's, he's pouting. Why is he pouting? Because he doesn't like what you said tonight. Well, what did I say tonight? Well, you talked about loving one another in the family of God. So what do you do? So my dad went downstairs to the pastor's office and knocked on the door. Come on in. You know, he was, he was, he was pouting. And when my dad walked in the door, the first words that came out of his mouth, he says, how do you expect to love me the board that I have to work with? Whoa. Here was a man that really was struggling with unity amongst the people he was working to lead that congregation. And my dad shared with him, if you love Jesus and they love Jesus, you need to love one another. That's the foundation. That's the basis of all Christian unity. When you come to know Jesus, Jesus unites. That's what Paul is saying. There is comfort, there's consolation, there's encouragement in that relationship with Jesus and Christian unity. It flows from a living relationship with Jesus. So there's a question. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? Can you say today, I know Him as my Savior. I love Him. I serve Him. I'm walking with Him. That's where unity begins. It begins at the foot of the cross. Where you embrace the good news of Christ. and He has a way of uniting. Second thing we learn here is that Christian unity fills the heart with joy. Fills the heart with joy. There are several places in the book of, the, of Philippians where Paul thanks the believers for the joy that they bring to him. We'll go back to chapter 1, verse 3. says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. This congregation brought joy to the Apostle Paul's heart. But notice in our text, Paul is saying there's still room for more joy in his heart. And he tells the Philippians what would bring him more joy. He says, make my joy 
complete by being of the same mind, being united together. The word complete is, is, gives us an interesting word picture. It carries the idea of filling something up, like filling up a coffee cup. Huh? How many had coffee this morning? Well, you drank a little bit, and I bet you someone said, can I fill your cup? What do you say? Absolutely, right? You always want a full cup. I remember when I was just starting to drive in a different millennium, it was. And, and I would go, that was at the days when a gas attendant would actually pump your gas. Any of you remember that? Now you've got to be a, a certain age to remember that. So you drive up there and, and you roll down your window and he says, can I help you? Fill it up, right? Fill it up. That was back in the days when you could fill up your tank for a lot less than you can fill up your tank right now, right? Fill it up. So what Paul is saying, fill up my joy tank with high-octane unity. Huh? Fill it up. This completes my joy when you, as a congregation, are living together in unity. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a divided church. A church where there's disunity. I'm thankful to say I haven't been in a situation like that. But I know people who have. And there is few things worse than to be in a church that is divided. Division causes a church to lose its focus. Division causes a church to be a poor witness to the world. And worst of all, division causes a church to split. There are people who get so tired of the bickering going on in some congregations that they walk away. They walk away. Paul tells us what is needed if we're going to be united as believers. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now that's easy, isn't it? I wish we could say that that is the case, but we all have a sinful nature, don't we? And that sinful nature has a way of manifesting itself in many different ways, and one of which is that we kind of want our own way. Have you discovered that about yourself? Maybe you've discovered that about your spouse, But you sure should discover that about yourself, right? By nature, we are selfish. By nature, we are proud. We regard ourselves as more important than others. Our own personal interests become most important instead of the interests of others. And think about it. If I want my way and you want your way, what's going to happen? There will be division, right? And so this whole a selfish attitude that is ours by nature. Paul says that needs to be put away. Do nothing out of selfishness. View others as more important than yourself. 
Adrian Rogers says many years ago the Salvation Army was having a great convention. And they wanted the old general, William Booth, to come, but he was too old and, and too sick to come. And so they said, send us something that we can read at the convention. That was back in the days of, of telegraphs. And so he sent a one-word telegram. What word do you think it was? The one word he sent to that convention was the word others. That's what ought to be true in a Bible-believing congregation that we are concerned about others. Not ourselves, but others. Are we thinking of others? Are we viewing others as more important than ourselves? That's what keeps a church together. That's what unites people together. When there's that kind of selflessness displayed in our relationships with others. So that's the, the secret of, of unity. Notice thirdly, Christian unity follows the pattern of Jesus. That's what Paul is getting to in this text then. As he describes the, the unity that ought to be evident in the lives of believers. And he points to Jesus then as the pattern. Verse He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He is the pattern for how we relate with one another. And he goes on to describe then the ways that, that Christ is our pattern. Notice how Jesus laid aside his divine rights to be a servant. When Jesus took on human flesh, He didn't cease to be God. It's not like He exchanged deity for humanity. He always has been and always will be true God. But when He came to this earth, He never used His power or authority for personal advantage. Verse 6, although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Here's the creator of the universe. (laughs) Taking on human flesh, emptying himself, becoming a servant for the sake of others. John MacArthur says Jesus had all the rights and privileges of God which he could never lose, yet he refused to selfishly cling to his favored position as the divine Son of God, nor view it as a prized possession to be used for himself. Emptied himself, laid aside that to become a servant. Jesus explained this to his disciples in Matthew 20. He called them together and he says, You look at the rulers of the Gentiles. He said they lord it over others. Their great men exercise authority over them. He says it's not this way among you. This is not the way we live. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus. He did not come to be served. He came to serve. And that's what Paul is saying. If you follow the pattern of Jesus, you are a servant. A pastor is called to be a servant. I'm not a CEO or a, some kind of a dictator. I'm called to be a servant. And all of us are called to serve. To serve one another. Warren Wiersbe says a reporter was interviewing a successful job counselor who had placed hundreds of workers in their vocations quite happily. When asked the secret of his success, here's what he said. If you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities. Give him privileges. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A leader will use his privileges to help others and build the organization, a lesser man will use privileges to promote himself. Jesus used his heavenly privileges for the sake of others, for our sake. So if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus, we won't be demanding our rights. That's our culture, right? This is my right. That's not the way that we ought to live. We lay them aside to serve others. That's what Jesus did. You know what else Jesus did? He laid aside his life, his very life for the sake of others. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then Paul adds, even death on a cross. Death on a cross. What did Paul mean by that? Well, the Jews considered crucifixion to be a form of hanging, and those who were hung were to be cursed by God. For that reason, the idea of a crucified Messiah was a stumbling block to Jews. How in the world would the Messiah be, be crucified as if he was cursed by God? Like Peter, they could not conceive of that happening. But Jesus not only died for us, he died in such a way that <laughs> what worse way could you die in that culture than to be crucified? But Jesus became a curse for us. He took upon himself the curse that we deserve because of our sin. He, he died even the death on a cross. And he could have prevented that, right? Matthew 26, we find when Jesus was arrested and Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the, <laughs> the servant, servant, right? I don't think he was just going for the ear. I think he was going for the head, but he missed, got the ear. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way that we respond. And then Jesus says, or do you not think that I can appeal to my Father 
And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He could have called all these angels. He could have come down from the cross. But he willingly, willingly gave his life. He was willing to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, because no price, no price was too high to save us. I read an interesting story about a lady that was traveling overseas and she saw this piece of furniture that she wanted to buy and so she sent a telegram to her husband asked if she could buy it. Well, he sent a telegram back that said, no, comma, price too high. Well, when she got the telegram, there was no comma there. No price too high. I'll buy it. <laughs> Jesus could have said no. Death on a cross, that's too high. But he said no price is too high. Willing to lay down his life on that cross that you and I might be forgiven. And that cross then becomes the pattern by which we are called to sacrifice for the sake of others. Not to die on a cross for others, but to die to our own selfish desires that we might serve others. Someone asked George Mueller the secret of his service to God. He said, there was a day when I died, utterly died. I died to George Mueller, his opinions, his preferences, his tastes and his will, I died to the world, its approval or its censure. Died to the approval of even my brethren and my friends. It's no wonder God used George Mueller in such a wonderful way. Dying to our own desires, that doesn't appeal to many people, does it? I want to do what I want. I want to follow my goals, my vision, my desires, my dreams. Most people want an easier way to live. Warren Wiersbe says that a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was going from booth to booth, and he saw a sign above this booth that said, Cheap Crosses. He thought to himself, that's what many Christians are looking for today, Cheap Crosses. He said, My Lord's Cross was not cheap. Why should mine be cheap? Wiersbe goes on to say, many people are willing to serve others if it does not cost anything. But if there is a price to pay, they suddenly lose interest. Does that describe your life? I'm willing to serve as long as it doesn't cost me? (laughs) That doesn't fit with service. Because if you're willing to serve, if you're willing to put others before yourself, it's going to cost you. In one way or another, it's going to cost you. If you're looking for something that doesn't cost, it isn't following Jesus. What did Jesus say? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So every day we got a choice to make, right? You get up in the morning, who am I going to live for today? 
Am I going to live for my own desires? Am I going to live as if the world revolves around me? Am I going to choose my plan, my goals, my dreams at the expense of everyone else? Or am I willing to take up my cross? What's a cross? A symbol of death, isn't it? It is dying to our own selfish desires that we might serve others. That's what Paul is saying in this passage. That's what brings unity in a congregation when we are here to serve. I remember being involved in home mission churches some years ago, and when people would come and visit, you know what one of the first questions was? What do you have for youth? What do you have for women? What do you have for? What do you have for? And what's the basis of that question? The church is about serving me. And I would tell them, I said, if you're looking for a church that has all these ministries all together, all ready to go, this is not the place. But if you are looking for a place where you can serve, this is the place. You know how many of those people stayed? Wasn't very many. Wasn't very many. We are here to serve. To serve one another. Following the pattern of Jesus. And that's what brings joy. Paul says, complete my joy. Fill up my joy by living in that way. Following the pattern of Jesus. That's what brings joy. Notice also, At the end of the road, when you are willing to to sacrifice, that pathway leads to glory. It was seen in the life of Jesus. For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And the same is true for us, that the pathway to glory is the pathway of sacrifice. What did Jesus say? Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5.6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. That's the, that's the end result. And that's the encouragement that as we sacrifice now, just think of standing in the presence of the Lord one day. Hearing from him, well done, you good and faithful servant. Servant. I trust you are here to serve. Putting others before your own needs. Bringing joy into their life. Following the pattern of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that you've given, this challenge to us today challenge that goes uh, contrary to our sinful desires, a challenge that is fulfilled as we embrace Jesus, love him and serve him. Oh God, give us that desire to be united together in serving one another. For it is in your name, Jesus, we pray.